0: You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute. Your host for GI Insights is Professor of Medicine at University of Illinois at Chicago, Dr. Jay Goldstein.
1: During the day-to-day practice of gastroenterology, one calls on other physicians to work with the gastroenterologist to take care of patients. One of those people are radiologists, others are pathologists. And joining us today is Dr. Elizabeth Montgomery to talk a little bit about improving collaborations between pathologists and gastroenterologists. Dr. Elizabeth Montgomery is professor of pathology and oncology at John Hopkins University School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Montgomery.
2: Nice to be with you.
1: We're delighted to have you. Well, you recently wrote an article on this subject for the American Gastroenterological Association's Perspective publication. Is that not correct? I did. And what prompted you to do this?
2: I wouldn't be so clever to think of it myself. Dr. Camilleri asked me to do something. So he sent me, you know, please would you write something and let our folks out there in GI land know about all the pet peeves that you pathologists have about us. And I thought about oh, it. And he I said, must have been
1: wrong. He must have well, been wrong. Well, of course
2: he was wrong. All gastroenterologists are wonderful people. In fact, I kind of thought, gosh, I kind of like working with my colleagues, so why don't I just write about the things they do right? So that's what I did. And I, in fact, had one of them help me.
1: Who co-authored this with you?
2: Carrie Dunbar, who's one of the faculty members at Hopkins.
1: Okay. Very, very good. Well, what did you want to tell the GI audience? Because now you have them again.
2: I have them, and I want to thank them for the many things they do right. One thing that they do when they do things right is when they biopsy the stomach, they remember to biopsy both the antrum and the body. That's always a good thing.
1: When should they do that?
2: Well, they should probably do it as a habit, but one of the reasons to do it is because, of course, if a patient has autoimmune gastritis, we need to see what's going on in the body as well as the antrum. And, of course, if they want to know if the patient has menetrease or zollinger Ellison, we, of course, need to see the body as well as the antrum. Of course, if they're all in the same cup, it's the same price, and we can always sort out what's what even if they're damaged. But it's always nice to have them both.
1: Okay, well, let's pick up on a little of this. H. pylori diagnosis, a very common cause of biopsies being taken, correct? You betcha. And uh, does the same rules apply to antrum and body?
2: Probably not as much, because I think we both know that our yield is going to be better in the antrum, but occasionally we just see them in the body. What about if they're on PPIs? If they're on PPIs? And we can still usually find them, but sometimes it's harder. What's been your experience with that? It's
1: been my experience that that's the one time that I do both. And why is that? Because I always think that the yield is going to be greater. Is that true?
2: Yeah, I mean, and sometimes you tend to find them more in the body, and I don't really know why that is, but you do. But you're right, the more biopsies you take, the better it's going to be. But for me, the big thing is making sure you do the body to catch the autoimmune gastritis because obviously if they're anti-parietal cell antibodies, you've got a biopsy where the parietal cells used to be.
1: Now I want to pick up on a practical issue that you brought up. Put them in the same cup because it's cheaper.
2: Yeah, and it works out fine. Um, we're very spoiled, and my colleagues are pretty nice about popping them in separate cups. But the dirty little truth is if you have a pathologist worth his or her salt, that can easily be sorted out if there's any question. They look different, of course, histologically, but if they're abnormal, you can always do a gastrin stain, and, of course, only the antrum will have gastrin. So that's easy enough to sort out if there's an issue.
1: What else do we do right or wrong?
2: Well, let's see. Is another just sampling thing. One thing that you guys do really well, which I appreciate, is good gastroenterologists who are trying to diagnose lymphocytic or collagenous colitis are usually smart enough to go high enough to get some biopsies from the right and transverse, where you tend to see them the most. Is that true? I think so. It often fades out in the distal colon, so if you want to get a nice diagnosis of a microscopic colitis, you kind of got to go over to the right and take some of your biopsies.
1: Well, that truly is not a commonly held understanding.
2: It often fades in the left for both of those, so we always appreciate it when we have lots of right-sided biopsies in order to nail that diagnosis.
1: What percent of your biopsies are co-viewed by the gastroenterologist with you?
2: It's a pretty low percentage because we have a huge volume, but when something's interesting, uh, usually our colleagues are going to want to come down and share it, and of course we have conferences where everything gets shared, and that's always a lot of fun. But it's a low percentage. I mean, think about it. Nobody wants to see all the normal stomachs.
1: Oh, I I believe that to be true. Another example for us.
2: Another example is that I really wish that I were really smart and could always spot things, but I can't. I should be able to spot everything. So history is fantastic. And I love it when my colleagues say, oh, the patient has a history of lobular breast cancer or melanoma, for example, because... Those can be kind of sneaky to spot. So, if somebody tells me somebody has a history of lobular cancer, I'm going to be really, really paying very, very close attention knowing that those things can have sneaky metastases. That's fantastic.
1: So, you want to be treated like a consultant.
2: Exactly. How weird.
1: (laughs) Very good. (laughs) All righty. Let's talk about some common uses of biopsies, like uh, surveillance for colon cancer in patients with inflammatory bowel disease. What kind of tips do you want to give to our uh, listening audience?
2: Gosh, I wish I knew the right answer. I always love it when gastroenterologists do a really bad job doing surveillance in patients with IBD because that means there's not too many biopsies to look at. But I think you and I both know that the right way to do it is to take lots and lots and lots of biopsies and have a long endoscopy time, and I know you guys love that. (laughs) Um, But that's one of those things where if we do it right, it's a pain in the buns for all of us, and I appreciate it when you guys do it right. If there's lots of tissue, there's more to look at.
1: To be practical, what does lots mean?
2: I don't think I'm going to get into the precise number, but certainly one from the right and one from the left is not surveillance. I think most people are saying the standard is every 10 centimeters to sort of do your fake your way through four quadrants.
1: Four quadrants, double bites, at least and every that's 10 That's what cent- you're
2: supposed to do, and as you know, that makes a lot of biopsies, and it takes a lot of time.
1: And, of course, those go in separate bottles, don't they?
2: It's better if the different sites go in separate bottles because I have had the unpleasant experience of having tons of biopsies with no idea where they're from and there's one that's dysplastic. That's always really fun.
1: What is the number one thing that people do wrong?
2: I actually think the number one thing that people do wrong is inadequately sampling the stomach. What would be your perception of that?
1: Since I do more biopsies in the lower tract than in the upper tract, to be honest with you... I think we touched on what I thought would be the inadequate surveillance uh, for colon cancer in patients at high risk. But you know what? We can both be wrong or both be right.
2: We're probably both right because it probably depends on our patient population.
1: Yes. Well, you wrote a very nice article, and it was published. Have you gotten any feedback from the GI community, any editorial responses?
2: No, I don't think it's the sort of thing people are going to say much about, since obviously I didn't say anything nasty. I have gotten contacted by some pathologists who said, wow, that was a really nice way to do that, to say nice things to the people who do it right, and then the other ones can feel embarrassed.
1: (laughs) All (laughs) righty. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jay Goldstein, and joining me today to discuss improving collaborations between pathologists and gastroenterologists is Dr. Elizabeth Montgomery, professor of pathology and oncology at John Hopkins University School of Medicine. Well, what would you like to leave with our GI colleagues about interactions with their own pathologists. Do you make phone calls? Do you want us to call when we really think we have something? Do you want alerts? Is the paper trail good enough or the EMR trail good enough?
2: You know, I'm perfectly happy, actually, with a nice paper trail. If Something's really interesting. An image is great, but it's mostly the information that I find helpful. For example, I'd love to know if a patient's immunosuppressed or has had a bone marrow transplant or a solid organ transplant uh, makes a big difference. For example, if somebody's had a bone marrow transplant, we look for apoptosis for graft versus host disease. If somebody's had a solid organ transplant, guess what? We look for apoptosis for mycophenolate mofetil injury. So same finding, two different stories. We love history. History is good
1: history is good, collaboration is good?
2: Mm Mm-hmm, and it is wonderful that I know I'm really, really lucky that I can pick up the phone and call gastroenterologists and say, what the heck is going on with this patient? I see X, Y, and Z, and it could be one of 10 things because the GI tract has a limited repertoire of responses to lots of different injuries. What's going on? And they're fantastic.
1: Are gastroenterologists more collaborative than surgeons?
2: I think there's similar. It's really nice to work with them, but it's a lot easier to reach a gastroenterologist and surgeons can be scrubbed for hours and you guys get breaks.
1: <laughs> All right. I'd like you to give our listening audience some pearls about and summarize what you would like them to do to improve your job and the job you do for us or with us.
2: Well, I think you've done a great job touching on the things, but I guess the best results come sort of like when Warren and Marshall got their Nobel Prize, they talked and they shared their observations. And so bringing it down to a more pedestrian level, and of course, for those who don't know, Warren and Marshall got the Nobel Prize for their helicobacter work, Marshall the gastroenterologist, Warren the pathologist. But anyway, getting back, so we do our best job when we know plenty of information and, of course, I'm sure gastroenterologists get frustrated with us for giving a stupid report that doesn't explain what's going on and is, is only a description. And the more you tell us, the more you'll tell you. And I guess that goes with everything in medicine.
1: I'm going to turn to two other parts of the GI tract that we haven't touched on. One's the esophagus, and the other one I'd like to talk about is duodenal biopsies or biopsies from the small bowel looking for celiac disease. So let's take the celiac story first. Okay. What do people do right and what do they do wrong?
2: Well, what people do right is, and I'm sure you're expecting this, is they go beyond the bulb and take quite a few biopsies. And what they do wrong is go right beyond the antrum and get a little kiss of the bulb. And then we don't know what it means if it looks damaged. I think everybody knows who does a lot of these that sometimes celiac disease can be patchy. So it's nice to take more than one bite. So I guess we've summarized that.
1: Now, well, let's turn to the esophagus for a second. We do a lot of biopsies in the esophagus. I can tell you when I work with my fellows, it's one of the harder oh, it's awful. things for them to master. They uh, don't like the motility. They don't like the tangential biopsies. And they want to get out as quick as possible because we take them last.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: they're, they're tired. They want to finish up. Uh, sure. What issues have you noticed in esophageal biopsies that are problematic? And I guess most of these are screening for Barrett's.
2: Yeah, these days it's Barrett's, and then, of course, the other popular thing is eosinophilic esophagitis.
1: Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the one where nobody can agree on how much is enough. EOS, by the way. Yes, I understand.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, actually, I'm going to digress and go to the eosinophilic issue. You've got to take more than one biopsy to get a good diagnosis of EE. E. E. And I think everybody's gotten really good about biopsying the mid and the distal. I'm almost afraid to touch on our bad job in pathology of the counts and that sort of thing.
1: Well, it's by my impression that if you don't like the first count, you can always get a second.
2: Exactly. But quite honestly, in real life, when I do the eosinophilic esophagitis at low power, I've already decided whether it is or isn't because there's tons of basal cell hyperplasia and tons of EOs. And in some respects, the counts are silly, but they are a good construct for comparing the biopsies when you you guys treat the patient and then bring them back and re-biopsy. But the counts are a little bit silly. On the other hand, with the Barrett's issue, I guess that's just so difficult. And then, you know, are there tongues? Can you see the Z line? And we sometimes end up giving you guys a garbage in, garbage out diagnosis because we see two goblet cells and we don't know whether it's from the cardia or from the true tubular esophagus. And I don't know what the right answers are with those because... I'm sure that you're fully aware of the fact that some people are kind of chomping at the bit to stop requiring goblet cells and go back to making Barrett's an endoscopic diagnosis.
1: Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we could spend many hours talking, but we have to bring this to a close. I would certainly like to thank my guests from John Hopkins University School of Medicine, Dr. Elizabeth Montgomery. Dr. Montgomery, it's been a real pleasure having you
2: as
0: a
1: guest on GI Insights this week. Thank you very
0: much.
2: Well, thanks for having me. It's been a
0: delight to chat. You've been listening to GI Insights on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute. For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com and use promo code AGA. Update your clinical knowledge and improve your delivery of patient care by registering for the 2010 AGA Clinical Congress. By attending, you'll learn from renowned experts in the field who will address the most relevant clinical issues in gastroenterology and hepatology. The Congress will be in Las Vegas January 15th and 16th with an optional add-on sedation course January 17th. Bring your nurse and attend this team-based course to obtain the essential information and hands-on training to safely and effectively administer sedation for GI procedures. Learn more and register today at www.gastro.org slash clinicalcongress. The American Gastroenterological Association is the trusted voice of the GI community. Our membership has grown to include 17,000 members from around the globe who are involved in all aspects of the science, practice, and advancement of gastroenterology. Discover what the AGA could mean to you. Visit www.gastro.org.